in three, two, one. John, are we live? We're live, sir. How are you, buddy? I'm fantastic. How are you, sir? I'm fantastic, and I'm excited for everybody who's watching or listening now. They haven't been in this room for the last half hour, 40 minutes, where I've been talking to our guest, and he's mm -hmm. just blown my mind about uh, the science behind fitness and health, and I, I cannot wait for this show. So I'm super, super excited and jazzed. Um, me too, uh, me too. My mind is blown in, in so many different ways. I'm like <laughs> thinking about all the things that him and I just spoke about while we're starting the show, and it's, it's clogging my mind. I gotta oh stop. But I'm gonna do a real quick shout out because I wanna get into the show right away because I think this is gonna be really a, uh, a special one. Um, it's not really a shout out so much as literally right before uh, I got in studio, I saw that right around the corner from us uh, last night, uh, Someone's dog got stolen. It's about a 65 pound, like looks like a 17 month old German Shepherd who was outside of Gus's in River North. Mm -hmm. I don't know who's uh, jerk enough to steal a dog, but I know a lot of our listeners are in the area. The guy who stole a dog was like 6'3", 150 pounds. The dog's name's Kayla. I shared it on my Instagram. I'm gonna share it on my Facebook. Uh, a couple of years ago, we actually shared a dog getting stolen too, and the dog was found. So hopefully by the power of social media, somebody can find this dog, because yeah. um, I'm a dog guy and that yeah, really stinks. Yeah, so it does. I'll share it. I'll put it in the um, comment section, at least a photo of the dog. And it's got kind of the reward um, hmm. number there. And the person's offering an award as well. Cool. So that's my shout out. And sucks that somebody would actually do that. I concur. It's what ridiculous. Yeah. People are just mean. Something yeah, it sucks. I mean, few people, but I, I guess out there. And I, I was always nervous about this with with my dog. I would never tie him up outside. Well, he was also 130 pounds. I felt yeah. like he could take <laughs> take the entire rail and just take off. Right, right. But I was always afraid somebody would just undo him and steal him. Mm -hmm. You see it all around the city of Chicago, where somebody walks in someplace and they tie their dog up for a second, yeah. and then they run inside. Our good buddy Lawrence does it all the time, and I always mm -hmm. used to be like, "Dude, somebody could you take your dog." Yeah. But uh, yeah, so hopefully somebody can find Kayla. Hopefully, Kayla will be found and returned Turn. to their proper place. Uh, shout outs. Quick, uh, quick news one. We're not big on big companies here, but Disney did something pretty cool. And this is a little bit, uh, it's a couple weeks ago. A uh, little boy named Jermaine Bell uh, was saving up for a trip to Disney World, his family. And he was saving up his money. And Hurricane Dorian, which happened about a month and a half ago, uh, took land. A lot of people needed help. And he broke open the piggy bank to get his money out to buy hot dogs to give out to people who were homeless and hungry oh. and so on and so forth. Disney caught wind of this and rewarded him and his family with an all-expenses trip down for his seventh birthday. Oh, very cool. Pretty Kudos cool. to him for... Yeah. Um, obviously saving up all that money and then yeah. giving it to uh, the less fortunate and but you know, out to Disney. It, what, eight, seven. So seventh birthday, you know, when you're six years old, I don't know if I would think that. You know, you're saving all your money for Mickey Mouse and then just to, on his own, that was a cool thing. He just yeah, did it. Yeah, what a good and, character yeah, in that kid. Yeah. Um, Very cool. So I John always one-ups my shout-outs. <laughs> Even when I came up with a dog one, you somehow <laughs> found a way. <laughs> I didn't uh, think you were going to beat me today, but well, there you, you know, go. Uh, <laughs> one other quick one. I want to give a shout out to a viewer who neither one of us have met. Her name is Debbie. Spoke with her today. And she reached out to me uh, about two weeks ago via email because she has a friend who owns a business 
that she thought would be a great guest. So she's lining us up so we can talk. But what a great person. She apparently wheelhouse came up in her news feed because she follows one of the hashtags, entrepreneur something along those lines, came up. And she checked out the show a while ago, she said. And she's been a fan ever since. And she thought, wow, I want to introduce these people to my friend. And we talked for about 20 minutes. And she said she'll be watching today. So hello. Uh, but yeah, I just thought it was cool for her to take time, think of us, think of her friend, and put the two of us together. I'm, I'm really enjoying that that's starting to happen. And yeah, shout out to her. I had somebody on Sunday, I went on a drive, and he said, you know, he checks out Wheelhouse. And we were friends on social media, but mm -hmm. I, we had never met before. Right. But the first thing he mentioned was Wheelhouse and how he tunes in. Actually, after the show, usually, because he's at work right now. But right. it's yeah. kind of cool to see that so start it happening. It's starting just little by little to, to happen. Neither one of us were in a rush to uh, to become the Joe Rogan a, podcast. Yeah, you know, we knew it was going to take time <laughs> and effort, and but slowly but surely, getting some loyal to, followers. Yeah. All right, so, shout out to them too. Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. I'm I'm stoked to jump into this with Dr. David Plurday. Mm -hmm. He's the founder and CEO of the Plurday Institute. Um, he's got a new program coming up called ExerciseDoctor.com. I'm going to let him discuss the Plurday Institute, what Exercise Doctor is, and. I think it's going to be a treat for everybody listening and viewing today. He's going to break me down. It wasn't something we planned, but prior to getting on air, uh, I was just venting about some of the struggles I go through, which I think are similar to a lot of struggles that a lot of entrepreneurs or people who are busy with life and maybe people who have a nine to five and have a family go through. And uh, he's really going to break me down as a test subject and I'm, I'm super excited. But before we do that, thank you for coming on and tell us what Plurday Institute is and how you started. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mo and John. Thank you. Um, so I uh, came from a background as a competitive athlete. I was a three-time state champion competitive powerlifter. Uh, my coach was uh, Bill Sino, who was a world champion. And I was expected to be a world champion. Um, I played college football. And um, while I was in college, um, entered into the College of Social Work, I ended up getting a bachelor's in social work. And I came to the realization that essentially I had two passions. The first passion was science, you know, human performance, nutrition, exercise, physiology. But I had another passion, which was just as bright, if not brighter. And it was just a desire to help people. And uh, at that point in my life, I had every uh, expectation. I was going to go to, to seminary um, and uh, I realized uh, these two passions collapsing into one really directed me to a different path. And I uh, ended up uh, pursuing a doctor of philosophy, a PhD uh, in the fields of human nutrition, but also in exercise physiology. I founded the Plurday Institute, which is an interdisciplinary science-based approach to weight loss. Um, it's been about 30 years. Um, I started uh, work in the field of weight management or the treatment of obesity back in 1991 in a private sense. I was working at the University of Wisconsin Whitewater in 1989. So it's literally been 30 years. Wow. Well, you don't look like you've been working for 30 <laughs> years. And this is what taking care of your health and wellness looks like. You definitely probably do not look your age. It's, uh, I've really personally benefited a lot. You know, uh, when I was competing as a power lifter, um, I come from a family that had battled diabetes, mostly type two diabetes. And with the extreme training, 
I would have massive fluctuations in blood sugar and I have real difficulty concentrating. I mean, literally, uh, sometimes it would be hard to read because my blood sugar was so jacked up. And uh, so it was while I was doing my undergrad, my sister shared a book with me on nutrition written by three scientists. I read that book and I applied what I read and it changed my life. I, I, my mental acuity and focus improved so dramatically I really questioned whether or not I wanted to continue to compete as a power lifter because part of my problem was this massive glycogen depletion. So I, I stopped. I stopped training, uh, competing, and became fascinated with nutrition and exercise physiology for many different reasons. And, and uh, anyway, so I, I ended up getting my, my PhD in uh, nutrition and exercise physiology. I've been operating for over 30 years. I've, I've helped thousands of men and women from all over the country. Um, and it's been an incredibly gratifying career for me. Well, and I already have the benefit of understanding a little bit, at least just the tip of the iceberg of what you do, because I've done some research on you, sure. looked at your website, and we've had some time to chat. Absolutely. I suggest to anybody who's listening or watching to check out the Plurde Institute's website, because I think what's fascinating about what you do it's it's not science at its um, I want to say a, 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 again at the tip of the iceberg. It's it's such an in depth look at you as a scientific project almost for you guys. Mm -hmm. um, the, and I'm going off of your website here: the metabolic research, the exercise physiology, just the the psychology you go into about eating that we were touching on before coming on air. What when when somebody comes in and says, "Hey, listen, I, I'm." I've just given up or I'm lost. I don't know what to do anymore about my weight loss. And, and I, I've been there. And I think even as somebody who used to be a personal trainer and, and, and I am an athlete, um, I get there sometimes where I just feel like the path to getting in shape is, is such a long road that my motivation just doesn't match up with the road I have to take. And I can imagine if somebody um, doesn't even have my background, how difficult that must be from a, a mindset thing. What is the steps you guys take when somebody comes in and says, I've kind of given up on trying on my own? What's step one through uh, kind of guiding them through the process of the Plurde Institute? Yeah, so the first step, uh, people reach out to us. We have a 24-hour intake department, 844-PLURDAY. Um, uh, it's um, a 24-hour call center. And we assess people's candidacy. So there's a series of questions, uh, and, and what that entails is determining, does somebody have a clinical need for weight loss? Um, is there an emotional and re uh, psychological readiness uh, to cooperate? Is a person in a place where they're ready to commit? Um, and, and do they have the bandwidth, you know? And so if we get the right answers to those questions, we schedule people to come in for a half-day assessment. We take them through a complete battery of tests. And um, we use an instrument called the BOD pod, which is a, a device that separates fat weight and lean weight. It measures the weight of muscles and bones, connective tissues and organs. And it measures the weight of all fat, not just the fat we can pinch, but intra-abdominal fat, intra-thoracic, intramuscular, intracranial. It measures the weight of all fat. And um, we do other tests, um, but we, we map out essentially what we can do for that individual. How much body fat can they lose? How long is it going to take? What are some of the different treatment options and cost options? And what sets us apart is what we call the interdisciplinary aspect. Um, and so we look at 
um, nutrition, of course, but, but at a deeper level. Um, we examine things in what you eat and what you drink that you can't smell, that you can't taste, that you can't detect. They're present in the things you eat, what you drink, your tablets, your capsules, your powders, your shakes, your drinks, you know, your antihistamine, your, your pain reliever. You know, you think you know what you're ingesting, but you really don't. And so as a scientist in the field of nutrition, it's really all about chemistry. We study the chemistry, the underlying chemical quality of what people eat, what they drink, precisely how they're eating and drinking, and what are the ramifications of, of those patterns, metabolically speaking. It's eye-opening because um, inevitably what we find out is that, that uh, you know, we all come to the table at Pleur Day with our own ideas, our own perceptions, our own beliefs. The problem is, as a non-scientist, we have no way to verify our beliefs or our perceptions. And at Plurde, it's just a very unique operation. It's a full human performance laboratory. And so we don't guess. We make decisions based upon objective measures, lab tests. And when we run those tests, we don't send those tests to the lab. You are the lab. We are the lab. So it's total objectivity in chemistry, nutrition, um, and also in the exercise physiology department, we, um, we look at muscle metabolism. So we would take a person through a protocol of walking very slowly and then moderately and then fast and then in a slow jog. And, then, and we look at how the muscles adapt metabolically to those different levels of exertion to see how fatty acids and glucose are utilized differently. So you have a perception, if I do this exercise, I burn fat. If I do that exercise, I burn sugar. But how do you know that? Don't. You know, unless you're in a laboratory and you're measuring it, it's nothing but a guess. So the beauty of what we do is we don't guess, we measure. So we, we, we look at what a person's doing. We prescribe very precise modifications we also, in terms of what they're eating, what they're drinking, and how they're eating and drinking, and, and of course that also includes, we, we provide exercise prescriptions and, and seven-day-a-week uh, accountability. Um, we're looking not just at the physical science, but we're asking the question, hey, why do, why do I eat at night when I'm not hungry? Why do I eat past full? Why do I occasionally binge? And oftentimes, you know, a person has several different, different emotions they're not even aware of. You know, maybe I'm exhausted, maybe I feel fear or anxiety, or maybe I'm mourning the loss of a loved one. Maybe I'm celebrating. Yeah. <laughs> the point is that the triggers to self-medicate with food aren't always negative. Sometimes they're positive, but, you know, whatever the triggers are that lead me to behave in a way that's incongruent, I've got to identify those triggers. I've got to learn how to avoid those triggers when they can be avoided. If I can't avoid them, maybe I can minimize them. If a trigger, let's say, is, uh, let's say you have a girlfriend and she pushes your buttons occasionally and she's not going anywhere anytime soon, right? Sound familiar, right? How do you set boundaries for yourself mentally and emotionally so that you don't trip over yourself, right? You know, um, and the other reality, uh, which is totally unique at Plur Day is we address the fact that for many of us, food's been a drug that we've had somewhat of an addictive relationship with food, not to be overly dramatic. But we look at weight loss through the lens of a sobriety journey. And one of the main goals of a sobriety journey is to come up with multifaceted strategies to cope with my pain that's not my drug in a way that's totally congruent with the path we all know we want to walk. 
right. know, so like, for example, for me, um, I work long hours. I have a huge caseload. You know, I come home, I'm exhausted. And sometimes I'll ignore my signals of drowsiness, sit in the family room, click on the TV, and guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to crawl through the cupboard and, and look for the crackers or the cookies or the chips right. or whatever it is. And it has nothing to do with hunger. I have a chef. You know, I eat every two and a half hours. I can eat anything I want. I'm not hungry. You know, exhaustion, you know, um, for me is a real trigger. So for me, my strategy is I need to go go to bed. <laughs> you know, if I'm going to watch TV, I should watch it in bed, not right next to the kitchen where it's like, oh, you know. So um, if, if a person's trigger, let's say, is loneliness, you know, the key is to is to make an effort to connect. If somebody is mourning, they need to, to seek ways to find comfort that's not food. You know, if if um, if somebody's triggers fear or anxiety, they've got to deal with those triggers head on in a different way. Okay. So addressing the psychology of behavior, but also addressing the fact that food is a drug for a lot of people. And um, so that involves kind of a mentoring relationship, sort of like a sponsor, you know, yeah. or somebody who's on the other side of that problem who totally gets my struggle, somebody I can confide in who will coach me and encourage me and, and, and hold me accountable in a way that's really productive and supportive. Yeah, it's what you guys are doing is not just a lifestyle change at a very minor level, you're changing somebody's life. You, you touched on a lot of things that just, again, were instantly touching pain points for myself. I think I'm like you in that I come home and I'm exhausted right. and my couch is right next to my kitchen mm -hmm. and I will start to watch something on television as I'm working. And the next step is I'm either looking at Uber Eats or I'm going to my fridge and then I'm bringing that food back on the couch and I'm eating and I'm thinking to myself, why am I doing that? Right. I also know that you know, you and I spoke off air, you recommend to eat every two and a half hours. Right. We can touch on that in a second, but I don't do that. I have too many large meals and then I go way too long between meals. Sure. But I know that my reaction to exhaustion is to eat, whether it's at work, at lunch, I wait too long, I'm tired, I eat, and it's an emotional reaction. Of course. And I like to binge and I do eat past full virtually every time I eat. And mm -hmm. it's probably one of the biggest pitfalls I have is I don't portion control anything. I mm -hmm. eat in excess, I eat too much, and I eat at the wrong times all the time, Sure, usually. Um, but that sometimes takes an honest approach, and I don't think I ever, even prior to this, even thought about it like that. I, I just thought, well, I eat too much when I sit down to eat, or I eat past full, but I never thought about it as an emotional approach to something going on in my life. I never thought, maybe just lay in bed, because I do fall asleep right away if I'm laying in a bed. Lay in bed, watch TV, and you'll probably knock out, and then you'll avoid the meal. Right. But things I never, ever thought about. Um, I want to ask you about the exercise doctor, because I know we're going to do, and I want to be respectful of your time, kind of an sure. analysis of me. Um, so you, previous to exercise doctor, your target demographic was what? So our primary profile client is usually 50 years old. Uh, they're well-educated. Um, they typically own their own business, uh, and they're succeeding at pretty much everything they've ever done. Except, except one thing. Except health and wellness. Their weight. They've had a weight problem for years, and it's not because they haven't tried. You know, They've worked with a trainer. They've tried different book diets. They've uh, not gotten traction, and it's a source of frustration. Uh, it's On a certain level, it's confusing. It wouldn't be at all unusual or, or uh, a surprise 
if somebody was really mad at themselves, like, you know, how the heck did I let myself get to this place? It would be uh, common for a person to feel some fear about the trajectory of their health. I mean, if I don't get this under control, where am I going to be in 10 years? And the answer could be, am I even going to be around? And so, um, yeah, the main character at Plurday is not Dr. Plurday. The main character at Plurday Institute is this 50-year-old business owner. And I come in and I do four things. Um, The first thing that I do is we look at this problem of I want to lose weight, but let's be specific. I want to lose body fat weight. The, the underlying problem when someone wants to lose body fat and they're not getting any traction is actually a suppression of an enzyme inside the fat cell. So as a scientist, I developed a technique to monitor this enzyme. It's, it's called hormone-sensitive lipase. And um, in 30 years, uh, in every single case when people come in to see me, um, the common denominator is that enzyme is in a state of suppression. What that means is that the storage fat in the fat cell, it's called triglyceride, um, the fat cell is essentially at that moment incapable of breaking the, the, the fat into pieces. And if you can't degrade the triglyceride, you can't mobilize these things called fatty acids. And if you can't mobilize the fat from the fat cell, you can exercise till the cows come home. Interesting. You'll, you'll have no substantial fat weight loss. So we monitor this enzyme. And I developed a technique. We, we can control the enzyme. It only takes me three days to reverse the enzyme suppression in all fat cells from the top of the head to the bottom of the feet and everywhere in between. And we confirm this in a laboratory setting. Once we reverse the enzyme suppression, we monitor that enzyme and effectively deflate fat cells by about 70%. Now, the significance of that is body fat weight, whatever it is, is simply the weight of all fat cells. So body fat weight reduces by about 70%. And the statistics on it are mind-blowing. I won't bore people right now with that. But the first thing that we do is we get control of a mechanism in the fat cell, and we are operating in a laboratory, and it's a very unique experience. The second thing we do is we, we help people maintain what we call caloric neutrality. So to give you an explanation of this, I was a competitive power lifter. I used to bench press well over 500 pounds. I don't do anything like that now. He even makes me feel bad about my max bench press, (laughs) which most people don't. Oh, man. So, um, you know, when I hit 40 years old, I, I always saw myself as the former athlete who could pretty much eat or drink anything and not gain weight. And when I hit 40, I started gaining weight, and I didn't like it. I mean, how can the weight loss doctor gain weight, right? That's not, not congruent. So I ended up doing a lab test on myself called a resting metabolic rate test. I thought my resting metabolic rate would have been closer to like 2,300 calories. Much to my surprise, my resting metabolic rate was about 1,700 calories. Big difference. And so I'd go out to eat at Gibson's or whatever, get the ribeye and get the the Opus One, and I could afford Mm -hmm. it, and I enjoyed it, and why not, right? right? Well, when I realized how far from the reality I was in terms of my perception of what my calories and portions were, you know, I'll have the fish and a gin and soda. Thank you very much. You yeah. know? <laughs> um, if, if a person reverses the enzyme suppression in their fat cells, fat cells will mobilize fatty acids. But let's say you replicate a calorie surplus unaware from beef or chicken or 
salmon or avocado or mayonnaise or olive oil. It doesn't matter what the surplus comes from. The body will interconvert that back to a triglyceride in the fat cell, even if there's no suppression. So if you reverse suppression in the fat cell, but you're replicating calorie surpluses, you still get the same outcome. You have to do both. You've got to reverse suppression and maintain what we call caloric neutrality. The beauty of what we do is we measure it. There's no guessing. Right. And the objectivity just unleashes people and gets them a, a level of clarity and certainty and most importantly, a sense of hope that if I actually follow what I'm being told to do, I'm going to get exactly what I'm being told what, I'm going to get. Exactly. And so, so we control the fat cell. We keep people calorically neutral. And the third thing, we prescribe exercise in a laboratory so that it's metabolically controlled. We measure muscle metabolism. So let's imagine that somebody's made all the diet shifts in their selections and behaviors, and they're calorically neutral. But when they exercise, their muscles are utilizing glucose in anaerobic glycolysis. Um, what happens is the fat cells will mobilize fatty acids. They hit the bloodstream and they circulate. But if you're in the wrong system, system for cellular respiration, if you're running on glucose, the fatty acids simply keep circulating and they go back into a different fat cell and reform as a triglyceride somewhere else. It's called re-esterification. So the point is, is that it's like being a, in a room with blackout shades and there, there's glass everywhere and you're trying to get from one side of the room to the other and you can't see. And everywhere you go, you're getting cuts on your feet. We turn the lights on. We, we have the, 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 uh, the instrumentation, if you will, so people can see with complete objectivity and, and walk from one side to the other unscathed with complete efficiency. And so we prescribe exercise in a way that the muscles utilize fatty acids exclusively at about five to six times the normal rate while glycogen stores are spared. Now, this is really important because back in the days when I was a competitive power lifter, I would exhaust glycogen and you would, you'd have these massive cravings for sugars and starches. And you, there's no way you can resist it once the feeding centers are activating. You never win that. Right, you're so if you spare glycogen in this science-based approach where exercise is totally metabolically controlled, there's no cravings for sugars or starches, and, and it's relatively easy. So somebody who's part of your institute and your program, they, they come into the institute and they're working out there in a controlled environment? Yeah, so we monitor them on a once-a-week basis. We do an assessment. Um, and make sure their fat cells are free of suppression, reassess their exercise prescription, go through a complete overview of their nutritional compliance. And, and then at the end of all that, we set behavioral goals for the week and marching orders and, and make sure their, their body fat weight is coming down at the projected rate. I love it because I think one of the most important parts of this is taking the guessing game out. And I think with anything you do, I always say look at people who are successful and have understood the path to success in even in business and follow their path to success because you can guess and maybe be right sometimes, but you're gonna waste a lot of time um, guessing. And I feel like personally myself, and I'm guessing most people listening or watching this, go to the gym and maybe they read something or they've had a trainer and maybe stuff has worked 
somewhat for them in the past, but it's a guessing game most of the time. I mean, for myself even, I, I've got a good grasp on what I think might make me lose weight, but it's definitely never stays off. And I feel as though when I'm working out, my workouts are sometimes just wasted. I, I go to the gym, I might run for a little bit, I might lift for a little bit, I might do some abs. And I don't, I, I work a lot of hours, I don't have time to waste. And I feel like a lot of my life is spent wasting my, not wasting my time in the gym, but not using my time as effectively as I could. And, you know, health is wealth. And you're, um, you're gonna gain a customer in me 100%. And, and what I would suggest to people listening, and I think we're gonna hopefully touch on me in a second as, yeah, as an example. Sure. What I would suggest is you wanna look at an hour of your life and put a value on that. You know, and expand that out 10, 20, 30 years of fitness going forward. If you are productive in that hour of gaining perhaps the most important part of your life back, your health, um, it's, all this is worth its weight in gold. I mean, it's, it's priceless really. It's priceless information that will gain, uh, give you the knowledge that you will carry on for 30, 40, maybe even 50 years. You know, if you're my age now and you know, my mid thirties, hopefully I'm around to be 80, 85 years old. You know, if I, if I maintain my level of health and wellness, there's no chance I'll be around for 50 more years. But what I'm gonna hopefully learn from you will carry itself for you know, half a century. And there's so much value in that because again, I, I would venture a guess I'm probably uh, a little more advanced, I'm gonna say this gently, than the average person when it comes to health and fitness, but I'm still guessing. This next segment is super important. We're gonna break me down as a test subject for exercisedoctor.com, something that uh, I'll let uh, Dr. Plurde touch on at the end of this. Um, before we came on air, uh, he was kind enough to talk to me about what my goals are, what my struggles currently are with my health and wellness. And as a little bit of background for those of you that don't know me well, um, I yo-yo up and down in health and fitness a lot. I work a lot of hours, so I come home and I eat, I overeat, I eat past full, something that, uh, it's a term of art that Dr. Plurde used. I um, allow work to take over my fitness goals and my health goals. And I've just got to a point where my cholesterol levels are high, I've gained a lot of weight, and I'm gonna let Dr. Plurde go through how he began to analyze me, and then we'll just chat about some of the struggles I have. And um, I, I'm saying it on air, and I'm, I'm promising this, I'm gonna be a, a client of his, um, and a patient of his, because I, I truly believe, after the breakdown we had prior to going on air, that I really could benefit from this, and I think many of you could as well, um, as a lifelong change, not just a lifestyle change for today, but. I was saying it before we went off air, I'd love to be around until I'm 85. I don't have kids yet, I want kids. I wanna be able to be a healthy dad um, and obviously a healthy husband at some point. And I do know that if I continue on doing what I'm doing today, that in a decade from now, if I'm still around, I'm gonna be in really bad shape. So I don't, want me, I don't wanna be the guy that's 50 and comes to you and says, I am damn near on my deathbed. I wanna correct that now because health really does equal wealth. So I'm gonna let you break down what you started to do for me. Sure. So. When people come to us uh, initially, we do an evaluation, a historical evaluation of adiposity or how their body fat weight has changed. So in our prior conversation, you divulged that you're 35 years old, you're five feet six, 
Your current weight almost five seven, guys. <laughs> you're you're uh, 184 pounds. Your highest weight ever was 188. Um, but you reached physical maturity, as um, I think you said in eighth grade. In eighth grade, yeah. And so, by the time you're a freshman in high school, you're fully grown and you're physically mature, and you are um, 140 pounds. Now, based upon how you described yourself, your body fat level was moderately low. Normal body fat for a physically mature male is 15%. Slightly low body fat would be 12%. Moderately low body fat would be 10%, and you get under 8, and you're at definitely low body fat. So I can take to the bank that your body fat was about 10% as a freshman in high school. Okay, so 10, and you weighed 100. I want to go back to that. And you weighed 140 pounds. Yes. So if you take 140, right, your total weight, 10% would be 14 pounds. So if you subtract 14 pounds of fat from your total weight, we back into muscles, bones, connective tissues, and organs of 126. So the way I say this in my sort of philosophical way is that when God designed your body, he designed your frame to be at about 126. So now we fast forward, you're 35 years old. Your lean mass is still about 126, but you, at your high point, was you weighed 188. So if you, if you take the, the, the total weight and you subtract your lean mass today, which I would say is 127, your peak fat weight would have been 61 pounds. Okay? And so if you subtract the baseline fat weight of 14 pounds from the peak fat weight of 61 pounds, it's a 47 pound gain in body fat weight. Well, if you take your 47 pound gain in fat weight and you divide it by the baseline fat weight of 14, it's a 336% increase, which has really significant clinical implications. And it has to do with the fact that fat cells essentially can only double in weight. Whatever your body fat weight is, Mo, it's just the weight of all your fat cells. So sure. the moment your body fat weight more the moment your body fat weight more than doubles, it's indicative that there's actually two types of fat creation happening. The first kind of fat creation is when the fat cells are filling up with storage fat called triglyceride. The fat cells simply get bigger and they get heavier. But when your body fat weight more than doubles, your body starts to manufacture new fat cells. And where the body manufactures those new fat cells is genetically inherited. So I palpated your abdomen, and I kind of examined you here mm -hmm. uh, just, you know, initially. And what I learned is that your, your fat distribution is, is very evenly distributed from a subcutaneous perspective. But a significant por uh, portion of your body fat is intra-abdominal. And the problem with that is that as fat cells are accumulating in your abdomen, they encroach the liver, and you, st you start to develop a condition called non-alcoholic fatty liver. And this is a problem, because if my, if my blood glucose is elevated, part of that glucose will be diverted to the liver, and I'm going to form glycogen, and my blood sugar comes down. If my blood sugar is low, my liver will degrade glycogen and release glucose and bring me back up. But when the liver starts to get fat, your ability to buffer your blood sugar is hindered. And the problem with that is you end up overproducing insulin. And so um, what I tell people is that if you, if you had a 336% body fat weight gain, you can't have that outcome 
It's a non-starter unless physiologically you've had uh, a continuous state of slightly elevated blood sugar and slightly elevated blood insulin. It can be under the radar of diabetes, but be above what's ideal for you. And the problem with that is that um, the continuously elevated insulin required to get that outcome produces an inflammatory state. And that's why if you know people that are type 2 diabetic that are not managing their blood sugar, they end up with a knee replacement or a hip replacement or a back surgery because they're in a continuous state of inflammation. The problem is, and this is from the science perspective, that, that body composition as a laboratory determination may be the greatest single indicator of the accumulative impact your lifestyle is having on your body because it helps us understand pathology. So the inflammatory conditions don't stop in the knees or the hips or the fingers or the neck. You can have peripheral vascular inflammation and cardiovascular inflammation. And that's why people with uncontrolled diabetes have vision loss. That's why they get numbness in their fingertips or, or their toes. The blood supply to the genitals can be compromised. And you know that's where a lot of the ED medications have sprung up because the, the uh, erectile dysfunction medications are vasodilating medicines, so they increase blood flow to the extremities, and that helps performance. But the point is that um, when you look at these significant uh, points of your health history from a laboratory perspective, it's eye-opening. And you know, you're 35 years old, so play this out another 10 years or 15 years, and let's say you're 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 two. 210 or 220 and your lean mass you know from from a genetic perspective is is predisposed to be under 130 pounds you're going to be a train wreck in the sense that you know the the fat will encroach the liver but the other thing that happens that we touched on off air was that the diaphragm gets obstructed the diaphragm is simply a muscle it goes from here to here and when it moves up and down you know, it helps you to pull oxygen from the ambient air through the lungs into the blood. But when the diaphragm gets obstructed, inevitably oxygen saturation starts to drop over time. And then you start to notice blood pressure elevating. And the blood pressure is elevating simply to accelerate the absorption of oxygen from the air through the lungs into the blood to bring the oxygen saturation levels back up. But what I mentioned to you off air was that you know you're in trouble if you bend over to tie your shoes and you can't breathe your diaphragm can't move and you know it's a, it's a roadmap to you know chronic snoring obstructive sleep apnea and you can be one night away from from you know falling asleep stopping breathing you get an adrenaline activation that's not strong enough to wake you up and you can die in your sleep of of an obstructive sleep apnea event so the the pathology of really studying body fat weight changes from the baseline of physical maturation to the peak and then mapping out a process of reducing fat cell weight and body fat weight uh, at significant clinical levels can can really let people out of prison, if you will. It's 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 incredibly liberating. Well, I can't tell you how much the last hour has been shocking to me in a good yet bad way. Because when you talked about bending over and breathing, um, and and having some it's obstruction of being able to breathe, it happened to me in a race car couple months ago I was doing a long endurance race I got in the car and I tried to move my seat up and I'm a short guy on my team all the race car drivers are supposed to be short try to move my seat up and I couldn't breathe it was like I was having a panic attack and that had never happened to me I've been racing cars since I was 13 and it took me a good minute 
to start to feel better. And it was dangerous. I mean, it was, I went out onto a hot track and I just couldn't breathe and it just mentally really ruined me. Um, and then you just touched on something else that we didn't touch on off air. I just recently began snoring and it's, um, it's something I never did. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's crazy that about 10 minutes of me and you just chatting and, and we're just touching the tip of the iceberg about me. You've opened my eyes to things that I, um, I never knew were wrong in my body. I knew, I knew I'm going down the wrong path, but you hit most of my pain points without me ever telling you my pain points. I mean, you guessed the trajectory of what is starting to go wrong in my body by just understanding my base weight and some of my um, characteristics as a person, eating, weight gain, um, how I carried weight as a kid or as a just early on adult. And, after, and it's, can it's, I just interrupt yeah, you for one absolutely. second? So, you know, one thing I want to clarify is that I'm a scientist, yeah. right? I have a PhD in the fields of human nutrition and exercise physiology. I'm not a medical doctor. Um, but you know, it's, it's amazing. I think, um, in medicine today, people are writing scripts, but they're, they're forgetting physiology. They're forget, forgetting chemistry. And 80% of the equation is understanding chemistry, adjusting eating behavior to normalize metabolic conditions. And, and uh, the culmination of the interdisciplinarity of the Pleurde method, you know, unleashes people. And, and the snoring component, the obstructive sleep apnea component has incredible ramifications. Because if a person starts to accumulate intracranial fat, you can't breathe through your nostrils when you lay flat. It forces you to mouth breathe. And the, the disadvantage is when you breathe through your nostrils, air gets humidified in the sinuses. It keeps your airways moist. But if you can't breathe through your sinuses, you mouth breathe, your airways dry out because the air is not humidified. And uh, it really perpetuates the risk of obstructive sleep apnea. But all of this is tied to body fat and where it's distributed. And so uh, I look forward to, to working with you and helping you change the course and, and the trajectory of your health. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's significant. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm blown away. I mean, you're, you're gonna leave the studio today and I'm, I'm probably not gonna stop talking about this till I come into the studio and meet with you because uh, outwardly, if somebody looked at me, they'd probably say, oh, well, he's not in terrible shape. I know I've gained some weight for me. But from baseline, from what you've explained to me, this weight gain of 300, I can read it, 336%, 336 has it's, changed my life dramatically in a, in a bad way, and I'm only 35. I joke I've gotten really old, but uh, I'm 35 and I'd love to be around for 50 more years, but if I continue on like this, there, there's not a chance. And it's interesting because this objectivity, it really can only be seen in a laboratory setting. You know, right. if, I, if I look at you without clothes on, I don't judge people. You yeah. know, it's in a laboratory setting that we have these conversations, but I can ask those pinpointed questions and I can conduct an analysis without the lab because I've done it for 30 years. And the, the context of that is everything about the quality of your life 10 years from now. That's incredible. Well, so this exercise doctor.com, right. it's more geared towards a guy like me. Um, as opposed to somebody who's waited till they're 50 and, and really struggling. Explain what that is and what the difference between the two programs are. Yeah, so we have this thing called the Pleur Day Method. And it's the foundation of our science. And we have, we're developing three brands. The brand that's been the established focal point is the, the PleurDayInstitute.com. And it's weight loss, it's interdisciplinary science-based weight loss for the, for the executive who has a high clinical need. 
We have another brand called DrNutrition.com that is an affordable weight loss approach that's science-guided. It's not um, the full uh, in-depth uh, involvement with um, all the science, but it gives people enough of the science to make substantial progress. But it's, it's science-guided weight loss that's affordable. That's called DrNutrition.com. That website is in development. Right now, all of those domains go to the Institute.com. We have a third brand called ExerciseDoctor.com, and that brand is all about fitness and performance for the executive who just wants to take his or her game to the next level and really would love to work with somebody with uh, doctoral science credentials in multiple fields but doesn't know where to go. <laughs> right. And um, so we, we do half-day assessments. It's $1,500, and it's worth every penny. It's worth actually a lot more than that. At that point, we map out how much body fat can be lost, how long it's going to take, what are the different approaches that we need to, to, to walk through. And, um, and it's, it's really uh, an amazing process. But the, the exercisedoctor.com is a, it's a flat fee of, of $10,000 for a year. And um, it gives people uh, the guidance, support, the encouragement, and the accountability they need to get whatever they want. Well, we can confirm if, if their desires and their goals are, are possible. Oftentimes, we surpass people's expectations. Yeah. And the power of the method is, to this day, 30 years later, after I started this whole thing, I'm pinching myself. I, I can hardly believe it. Well, I, I, I cannot stress how much um, value one year of attending your institute would have on somebody's entire life. I, you've, you've gained a client in me, and I hope that anybody who's listening um, or watching this again can, can check out your website and have a very honest evaluation with yourself. I, I, I've had a very, so, and I'm gonna call it sobering, I've had a very sobering hour and a half chatting with a doctor here. Um, I, I knew I'm going down the wrong path, but not to the extent that you've now explain for me. Some of the symptoms that you you explained to me have been happening to me, but I have not understood why they're happening. Right. And the dramatic effect of, again, playing that out for 10 years could, could be really, really a costly thing for me. So I can't wait to, and I call it an investment in your future, investment in health. I know as a entrepreneur, as a business owner, if I had a family right now, I would probably be operating at suboptimal levels. I mean, I, I know myself, I wake up in the morning, I'm exhausted. I go to sleep, I'm exhausted. I'm not effective. I mean, it's such an investment in your future and your health. Um, and kudos to you. I mean, I, I've been around fitness and wellness for a long time. I've never had somebody approach my health and wellness like that. And I mean, I, I come from a family of doctors and my, my dad's been pleading and begging with me and he listens to the show to, to take control of my health. And you know, I did my blood test, fatty liver enzymes, yeah. just like you just mentioned prior to me ever telling you. I had them. You mentioned that was going to be a byproduct of my lifestyle right now. And I, I again, cannot stress it. I, I've been around the fitness world for a long time. I've never seen anything like this. Oh, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you today. Yeah. If somebody wants to reach out and get a hold of us, um, they can go to the pluridayinstitute.com, mm -hmm. the Get Started page. They can fill out a little note and send it. It comes directly to me. And we can, we can get the process, the conversation started. Or they can call our, our 800-24-hour call center. Uh, it's 844-756-8733. 844-PLUR-DAY is our, is our call center. 
and um, and we can get the conversation started. Where are you located? We're located in Lyle, Illinois, okay. right off of uh, I-88. So it's awesome. really easy to get to and uh, conveniently located. All right, before I let you go, because I always like asking this about people, I'm going to ask you for a, a piece of advice, but I want to know what Dr. Plurday does when he's not evaluating and changing the lifestyle of people. What, what does free time for you look like, if you have any free time? Oh, I do. So um, one of the things, uh, I like meditation. Okay. Uh, I practice therapeutic journaling, um, prayer. Uh, exercise has always been a passion for me. Uh, how I exercise has totally changed. What do you do now? Well, I used to run marathons. I've run 10 marathons. I finished in the top 10% of finishers in the Chicago Marathon and you know, before that I was a competitive power lifter. Now I just exercise to stay in shape and be healthy. You know, I'm 54 years old. You don't look 50. And I have less body fat now than when I was 18. I've, I weigh about 10 pounds less than when I was a senior in high school. Funny story, my, my daughter saw a picture of me in my office of when I was playing football senior year. And she looks at it and goes, Dad, your face looks different. What's going on with that? I'm like, well, I actually have less body fat now than I did back then. She's like, that is so cool, Dad. Mm. I'm like, you know, I, I've benefited so much personally from the, the research that I've done. And, um, you know, part of my own story is a sad one. My brother was my inspiration. Um, he taught me the, the power of goal setting. And uh, he died of a heart attack ten, um, six years ago, actually. And Sorry to hear that. Heartbreaking for me, you know. And... Um, you know, it's a euphoric thing to help people the way I do. When my brother passed away, it hit me right between the eyes. And the sobering reality is that when you understand your health history through this lens, um, you know, the stakes couldn't be higher. And so, you know, uh, there's a time for contemplation, there's a time for action. But anyway, I sort of strayed from your question. Um, I really practice uh, balance and um, you know, I, I, I practice what I preach and um, married. I have four daughters. Uh, my wife, my lovely wife, Tiffany, uh, and I um, were married a couple of years ago. We just had a baby boy. So Congratulations. I'm, right now, uh, these circles under my eye are real. You know, these, yeah. uh, Will Grayson is our son's name. He's named after my brother and my dad. Uh, it's been a, a great new chapter of our lives. So I'm super thankful and blessed. Congratulations. And what more motivating than being a healthy dad for five now? Five. Five. Yes. Pray you're, for me. <laughs> yeah, you're a busy, busy guy. Um, and then we always ask this, and you've given a lot of tips on um, changing your health. And I think being a healthy person does translate to being a successful entrepreneur. I think if you don't have health, um, you're not going to have energy and you're just eventually going to fail as an entrepreneur. But you're also a very successful entrepreneur. Set aside the fact that um, you're incredible at what you do, but your business is booming and you guys do incredible work. Give us a tip for an entrepreneur who's thinking of getting started off being an entrepreneur. Um, doesn't have to be in your line of work, just a general tip. Yeah, so uh, I learned the power of goal setting as an athlete. You know, we had this chalkboard in our basement that was huge, and I would write down my bench press goal, you know, and, and I would fixate on that. And then I would mentally play through um, successfully lifting, you know, that weight. And um, I achieved unusual success. Um, and my focus was athletics. When I got into college, I realized my calling for life was, was in a different direction. And all the lessons I learned about goal setting, and the power of that transferred. And 
Uh, so I'm a big believer. Write your goals down. Have a clear plan. Have a clear deadline. Uh, it's once said, if you can, all things are possible for him who believes. So when you set a goal, set a goal you know you can achieve. And grow in confidence. Slowly increase your goals. And be persistent. You know, I have a funny story about me. When I was a kid, my uh, I lived through a massive snowstorm in 1979. Yep. And uh, it was a disaster. We did not have a snowblower. And it was exhausting shoveling the driveway. And uh, my dad and brother did most of that. Mm. Well, the following year, we got the biggest, baddest snowblower money could buy. So I took it upon me. I had, I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit. Take that snowblower out. Go door to door. I come to this one person's house and I say, Sir, um, I'd like to snow blow your driveway, only charge $5. He goes, oh, that's okay. I'll do it myself. I said, okay, that's no problem. I'll do it for $4. He goes, no, it's okay. I'll, I'll do it myself. I said, okay, $3. He goes, no, no, no. I'll do it myself. I said, $2, man. You can't say no to $2. He goes, son, you are the most persistent young man I've ever met. I'm paying you the full $5. That's awesome. That lesson of the power of persistence has always stuck with me. That's awesome. And uh, you can't you can't go wrong with that. Well, I, I'm excited, and I appreciate the advice. I, I'm excited to um, learn from you when it comes to health and wellness. I think we think a lot alike. My favorite uh, quote is, a goal without a plan is just a wish. It's, That's right. It's what I constantly beat in people's heads when I'm coaching them on the business side of things. Write down your goals, make a plan to achieve those goals, and break them down into what you gotta do every single day. So I love your Amen. advice. And I can't wait to have you back on. I, I, I apologize for the power going out. We're gonna fix that on the YouTube clip, so it's gonna be one um, long episode. I'm excited to take Mo of today with Mo of a year from now. Hopefully when I'm 36, somebody can look at me and say you're in better shape than you were when you were 18. <laughs> That'll be a goal for me. Um, I'm gonna let John, John, if you have any questions, I, I sometimes skip over you. Um, I know you've been <laughs> working hard on getting the audio <laughs> and everything working since the right, power right. went out. But any questions for our guest? Well, I tell you, uh, thank you. And my pleasure, Doctor, thank been, you for having me. I've been me. just uh, enamored back here listening to what you've been saying. So for a person who is watching today, mm -hmm. and I understand I'm asking for a, an elevator pitch, Sure. Uh, in a very complex uh, scientific question. But somebody that's at home today, two things. Um, if you make a goal and you don't achieve it because you didn't apply yourself, what is your, what would you say to that person if they don't get upset with themselves, they just allow themselves to not succeed but not really hold themselves accountable? How do you how do you train or teach people to or hold themselves or motivate those people? I guess. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, let me say it this way. Um, so I I have a really interesting caseload. I, I have legitimate billionaires in my my caseload. I, I work with people that are poor. I do pro bono work and everything in between. And one of the things I've observed. Um, coming from the perspective of a social work background and as a therapist, is that most people have a critical voice in their head that says, you know what, I'm not good enough, I'm not rich enough, I'm not handsome enough, I'm not pretty enough, and it never shuts up. And when people miss a target, um, my 
philosophical approach is I say, you know what, don't beat yourself up. Let's get back on the horse. It's okay. Um, that, that unconditional support, um, in nine, 99 cases out of 100 is the, is the way to go. Um, occasionally, I'll have people where they like to be punched in the face verbally. <laughs> hmm. It's not my style, um, but I do adjust my coaching approach for those people that need that. But I, I find if you peel back all the layers, what people really need to hear is, it's okay. Uh, I made that same mistake myself. Let's get back on the horse. You're going to be fine. And, uh, you know, that's, that's really the, the approach that I, I stick to. Very nice. Okay. And one last, you say, or you said you, uh, eat roughly every two and a half hours. Correct. Fantastic. Um, caloric intake, or do you break it up as far as proteins and then like carbs in the morning, proteins in the afternoon so you don't crash. Is there a up and down to that? There's a science to it, John. Well, of course there is. <laughs> yeah, so um, one of the things we teach people, you know, when people ask me, you know, is what I'm eating good or bad? Mm-hmm. And we have a complete record, right? I say the same answer every time. Um, you know, a wise teacher once said, it's not what goes in your mouth that makes you bad, right? It's what comes out of your mouth. There's no morality in food. That's my position. Um, the question's never going to be, is what you're eating good or bad? The question is, is it metabolically optimum for John Lally? And the answer all too often is no, it's not. <laughs> but half of what it means to be following the Plur Day method is, is not just dealing with the chemistry of your selections in foods and fluids, but half of what it means is related to your behavior. I teach people to eat every two and a half hours, whether hungry or not, because if you eat every 2.5 hours, um, you never get hungry. Your satiety center, the part of the brain that signals you're full, um, remains activated. Mm-hmm. And when you're not hungry, it's much easier to follow a regimen that's healthy. If I go all day without eating, I lose that battle. I'm going to eat everything in sight. <laughs> I'll eat my body sure. weight and sugar or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And it has nothing to do with discipline. At that point, it's pure biology. The feeding centers of the brain are pulling me by the nose, mm-hmm. and I lose. So we, we look at the physiology of how the brain regulates hunger so you win. And so following a healthy regimen is easy. We also look at the psychology of, hey, if I'm eating and it has nothing to do with hunger, what's the trigger? Is it anger? Is it frustration? Is it sadness? Is it fear or anxiety? Hmm. Or am I celebrating? <laughs> you know? right, right. So okay. anyway. Interesting. Okay, thank you. You bet. I, But as far as the science goes, it doesn't get more precise at Plur Day. The calories, the portions, the breakdown. Uh, We have two teams. We have a chef in-house, great guy, trained in uh, culinary arts in New York, in French culinary, and he's completing his uh, science credentials at Purdue University in nutrition. We have another team. We have unlimited capacity to cook for people, so if part of what they need is help in the kitchen they basically need a wife (laughs) we can provide the wife i bet i bet the cook is cheaper than a wife i'll tell you no it's it's a really great layer of service yeah absolutely um because you know i'm i have a phd in nutrition i am not a culinary person yeah you know thankfully my wife's a great cook and i have a chef too so um it, it you know uh having that 
level of, of service uh, puts people in a, in a position to succeed, even yeah. if they don't have those culinary skills. We assess people. What do you like? What do you not like? What's your culinary knowledge level? What's your interest level? Some people are foodies. Some people are like me, and they're not very knowledgeable in yeah. culinary art. Some people are very interested. Some people are not interested at all. Some people have huge bandwidth for cooking and capacity. Some people work so much they don't have time. We finesse the implementation of their prescribed meal plan based upon those factors and, yeah. and it makes makes it enjoyable. I think that's super important. Like I, I love to cook and I love my green egg and I love to grill, but I just don't have the time. So right. I'm find myself being the type of person that typically just goes on Uber Eats and it goofs my diet up. Yeah. So I'm the type of person where a meal person or a prep or something would be worth its weight in gold again. Absolutely. Well, doctor, I don't want to take up any more of your time. I guarantee we are going to have you back on if you would, if you'd come back on Be the my show. pleasure. Absolutely. Um, and I mean this when I say this to everybody, uh, this was maybe one of the most eye opening 90 minutes of my life, setting aside, um, virtually everything else I've ever done. I mean, I, I just, having you break down the thoughts I've been having in my head prior to me vocalizing those issues to you and nailing them right on the head exactly how I'm feeling them and then di basically giving me the diagnosis of what's going on with those symptoms mm -hmm. um, has been eye-opening. And, and also, on a positive note, very motivating hmm. because um, it, it's shown me and I, hopefully any of you who are sitting at home feeling like me, and I'm sure there's a lot of you listening that have the same feelings I have, um, don't let it be hopeless. Let it be motivating because there is a way to solve it with guidance and you don't have to guess. And I again, uh, I'm going back to that because I think it's so important where uh, you have somebody to hold your hand and teach you what you have to do so you don't have to guess and you can become healthy. So you've gained a customer in me. For anybody listening, um, please check out the Plurde Institute. Um, I will keep you guys updated on how this is working for me. I'm big on social media, so I'm sure we'll be tuning in. Um, you know, people will be tuning into my weight loss and uh, my journey to becoming healthy again. So it's going to be I, fun. It's uh, it's an honor to have met you, and I'm excited to you know move forward and become a healthier version of me. Hopefully, be uh, have the same abs I had when I was in high school. That would be something. <laughs> Sounds good, Mo. I look forward to helping you, Mo. Uh, thank you, John. Thank you so much. Yeah, we appreciate you coming on. And we're again very apologetic about this power outage thing, John and I. When you leave here today are going to have oh some <laughs> some words with people in this building. So thanks again. Um, we don't have a set person for next week, but we will see you guys next Wednesday at 3 o'clock. Thanks for tuning in. And again, what a show. Glad to be here. Thank, Thank you. you. You betcha. In three, two, one. Thanks a bunch. <laughs> <laughs>